So we'd like to welcome you to this cold and beautiful Shabbat morning. Uh, our minds and our hearts is on those who are in California who are suffering this morning, the devastated loss. So let's keep them in our thoughts and prayer throughout this difficult time that they are experiencing. We also want to uh, keep our Reverend in mind and, and our thoughts and prayers as she recover. Uh, Representing Judas Ekelo. All right. And we also like to welcome our Facebook and those who are viewing online this morning. We'd like to honor you as well. So let us go ahead and get started and let's pray. Blessed are you, Hashem, our God, King of the universe, who has made us holy through his commandments and commanded us to actively study Torah. Please, Hashem, our God, sweeten the words of your Torah in our mouths and in the mouths of all your people, Israel. May we and all offspring and their offspring, and all, all the offspring of your people, the house of Israel, may we all together know your name and study your Torah for the sake of fulfilling your desires. Blessed are you, Shem, who teaches Torah to his people Israel. Blessed are you, Shem, our God, King of the universe, who has chosen us from all the nations and given us the Torah. Blessed are you, Hashem, giver of the Torah. Amen. Well, today... I want to focus on the man, uh, Jacob, and his journey. And we all have journeys that we are on. This particular uh, reading is the seventh reading from the book of Genesis, which uh, means he went out. The title comes from uh, the first verse of the reading. Which says, and Jacob went out from Bathsheba, from Genesis 28, uh, 10 verse. Now this portion tells the story of Jacob's flight from his brother Esau. His vision at Bethel, his employment with his uncle Laban, and his marriage to uh, the two sisters, Rachel and Leah. Uh, Jacob's double marriage results in a baby-bearing contest that give him 11 sons and a daughter to 12. And at the end of this portion, Jacob leaves Laban and returns to the land of Canaan, but not before Laban tries to stop him in the process. Now Jacob, uh, we know as the deceiver, received a new name, Israel which will likely mean he struggled with God. The most that occur at the end of, the, of that struggle when we read that God bless him in Genesis 32 and 29. And our society, as we tend to celebrate wealth and power, strength, confidence, prestige, and victory, we despise weakness, failures and doubt. Although we know that a measure of vulnerability of fear, discouragement and depression come with normal lives. And we tend to view these as signs of failures as even as even a lack of faith in some cases. However, we also know that in real life uh, Rave optimism and glowing accolades of glory, glamour, and success are a recipe for discontent and despair. Sooner or later, it catches up with most of us. The story of Jacob pulls us back to reality. Frederick Buchner, one of the most read authors by a Christian audience, Characterized Jacob's divine encounter uh, the, at the Jabbok River as the, quote, magnificent defeat of the human soul at the hands of God, unquote. It is, it is it's in Jacob's story we can easily recognize that our own element of struggles, fears, darkness, Loneliness, vulnerabilities, empty feeling of powerlessness, exhaustion, 
and relentless pain. Now I have no doubt some people have been going through some things this week. Sometimes we don't always admit uh, that we've gone through these struggles. But it's okay to do that. I myself have been going through some struggles uh, of late. But God is still faithful and just and he's going to be there. Apostle Paul was experiencing similar discouragement and fears in 2 Corinthians 7.5 where he said we were harassed every turn, conflict on, on the others, on outside, fear within. Uh, keep that in mind as I invite you uh, to journey with me in this remarkable life of Jacob. Now I would like to go to Genesis 28 as my foundational chapter. I screw me. Yeah, chapter. Yeah. I don't know if you can read that, but it said Jacob left Bathsheba and went toward Haran, and he came to a certain place and stayed there uh, that night. I want to keep in mind the word "certain place" uh, because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put in under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land of which you lie, I will give to you and to your offsprings. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. And, your, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And even and in you and your offspring shall be all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. And will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place and I do not know it. I did not know it. Seven, verse 17. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. Think about that for a moment. How awesome is this place? There's none other than the, than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured all on the top of it. He called that name, that place Bethel. But the name of that city was lose at the first Last verse. Uh, then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way I, that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothes to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And all of that you give me, I will give a full tent to you. All right. Let's think about those scriptures as we go through this teaching. Then, Jake, then Jacob left Bathsheba and went toward Haran. And, it came to, and he came to a certain place and he stayed that night. Uh, a certain place. Because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and laid down in place for a place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a letter set on the earth. And the top of it reached to the heaven. And behold, the angels of God were sending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it. And said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, God of Isaac. The land on which you, which you lie, I will give it to you. I wanted to read that again so 
you begin to soak into what we get ready to get into. Okay. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread to the west and to the east. Okay, they're going to move on down. Um, slides right here. Um, it is one, uh, Jacob's story is one of the greatest vision of the Torah. Jacob alone at night. Think about that. Him at night, alone. Fleeing from the wrath of his brother Esau. Lies down to rest and sees not, uh, sees a nightmare of fear, but an epiphany. He came to a certain place and stopped for the night because the sun has set. Taking one of these stones there, he put it on his head and lied there. Yeah. Why, what does Jacob's journey look like? And at the same time, I want you to ask yourself, what does my journey look like? What does my journey look like as I begin to uh, walk for Yeshua? What does it look like? How am I exemplifying the love of Yeshua in my heart? Now, as I was doing this lesson, I was, the question came to my mind is, what is this certain place? Where is this certain place that Jacob laid there? And I wanted to understand that certain place and its significance. I personally don't think that it's a coincidence that this was a certain place. Some of the sages of this said that this certain place in Bethel was the place where God first gave to Jacob his covenant promise that he uh, that was also given to Abraham and Isaac. Now, according to the Smith Bible Dictionary, Bethel, which we know is the house of God, named well known. It was a well known city and a holy place of central Israel, about 12 miles north of Jerusalem. If we, we are to accept the precise definition of Genesis 12 and 8, the name of Bethel would appear to have existed at this spot even before the arrival of, the, of Abram and Canaan. For your reference, you can look at Genesis 12, 8, 13, and 3, verses 4. Bethel was the scene of Jacob's vision. Genesis 28, 11, and 19, 31, and 13. Now, Jacob lived there, uh, at, there at the place, and the, and the original name was Luz. And you can find that in Judges chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. After the conquest, Bethel is frequently heard of. In the troubled times when there was no king in Israel, it was to it was to Bethel that the people went to went up uh, there uh, for their disgrace to ask counsel of God. Here was the Ark of the Covenant. Elijah also visited Bethel, and he, when we hear of the sons of the prophet as resident there. Bethel's remain in the abode of priests in Second King verses seventeen to twenty seven excuse me, seventeen verse twenty seven and twenty eight. And later times Bethel's name only once under the 
uh, sacredly altered name of Beaton. It ruins still lies on the north, excuse me, on the right-hand side of the road from Jerusalem to Nablus. It was there that Abraham encamped it. In Genesis chapter 12, verses 8 and 13 and 3. In this beautiful pastoral land, it received the name of Bethel, the house of God, because of Jacob's dream. Bethel was assigned to the Benjaminites, but they did not possess it. And we found uh, it taken by the children of Joseph in Judges chapter 1, verses 22 through 26. Now, apparently, the Ark of the Covenant was brought here uh, in Judges 20, verses 26 to 28. It was one of the three places that Samuel chose in which he settled legal matters. And Jeroboam chose Bethel as one of the two places in which he set upon, uh, set up the golden calves. King Josiah uh, removed all traces of idolatry and restored the true worship of Adonai uh, in 2 Kings 23, uh, 15 through 20. Now Bethel was occupied by Jews uh, returning from Babylonia. And you can find that in Ezra 2, 28, and also Nehemiah 11 and 31. Bethel is identified with the modern being of or Beit, Beit-in. It stands uh, upon the point of a lower rocky ridge between the two shallow waters which unite the water uh, that falls into the uh, the water sweet, sweeten it toward the southeast. Uh, you can see uh, that beautiful sight over here on second part second part of that frame. Now archaeologists have determined that although there were there were a village at Bethlehem in earlier as 3200 BC, continuous occupation of the site apparently began around BC during the 16th century. The settlement was enlarged and surrounded with a 11 foot thick stone wall and possessed some of the best laid masonry of that period yet discovered in Palestine. Now, as we set the stage and we give, gave you a, a visual of what that city looked like, let's go a little further into uh, his dream. And, 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 uh, and, he drew, and he dreamed and behold there was a letter set up on the earth. And the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give it to you for an and your offspring. Now Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, God is truly in this place, but I did not know it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Rabbi Jonathan Sack stated, based on the, this passage, the sages said that Jacob instituted the evening prayer. The inference is based on the word vaifaga, which can only mean only he came to. Encountered, happened upon, but also he prayed, entreated, 
and pled, pleaded, as in Jeremiah 7, 7 verses 16. The sages also understood the word excuse me, the place to mean God, the place of the universe. Thus Jacob completed the cycle of daily prayers. Abraham instituted the secret, the morning prayer, Isaac, the Miknach, and the afternoon prayer, and Jacob, Aviat, the prayer of the night time. This is a striking idea. Though each of the weekday prayer is identical in wording, each bear the character of one of the patriarchs. Abraham represents morning. He is the initiator, the one who introduced a new religious consciousness to the world. With him, a day begins. Isaac represents afternoon. There's nothing new about Isaac. No major transition from darkness to light or light to darkness. Many of the incidents in Isaac's life recapitulate those of his father. Famine forced him, as he did Abraham, to go to the land of Palestine. He redigs his father's wells. Isaac the quiet heroism of continuity. He is a link in the chain of the covenant. He joins one generation to the next. He introduces nothing new unto the life of faith, but his life has own, his own nobilities. Isaac is steadfastness, loyalty, determination to continue. Jacob represents night. He is the man of fear and flight. The man who wrestled with God, with others, and with himself. Jacob is one who knows the darkness of this world. There is, however, a difficult, uh, with difficulties with, with the idea that Jacob introduced the Eden prayer. In a famous episode in the Tammuz, Rabbi Joshua take the view that unlike Sukkot or, or the Miknik, the evening prayer is not the obligatory. Though as the commentary notes, it has become obligatory through the acceptance of generation of Jews. Why? If it was instituted by the Jacob, was it not held to carry the same obligation as the prayers of Abraham and Isaac? Traditional offer three answers. The first is that the view that that the Arvet is not obligatory according to those who hold that our daily prayers are based not on not on the patriarch but on the sacrifices that were offered in the temple. There were there were was a morning and afternoon offering, but no evening sacrifices. The two views differ precisely on this, that for those who trace prayer to sacrifice, the evening prayer is voluntary, whereas, whereas for those who base it on the patriarch, it is oblig oblig obligatory. The second is that there is a law that there are those, that there are those, that those of, on a journey uh, at least for three days therein, are exempt from the prayer. In the days when journeys were hazardous, when travelers were constant uh, at fear of attack by raiders, it was impossible to concentrate. Prayer requires concentration. Uh, therefore, Jacob was exempt from prayer and offered up his entreaty not as an obligation, but as a voluntary act. And so it remained. The third is that there is a tradition that as Jacob was traveling, the sun set suddenly. Not as a normal time, 
Jacob had intended to set up the afternoon prayer, but found to his surprise that night had fallen, which is the night prayer, did not become an obligation, since Jacob had not meant to say it in any prayer at all. So Jacob's prayer is very different. He does not initiate it. His thoughts are elsewhere. And his thought was on Esau from which he, had, he is escaping. And on Laban to whom he is traveling. So he's on this journey. And to this troubled mind comes a vision of God. And the angel at a stairway. Connecting earth and heaven. He has done nothing to prepare it. It is unexpected. Jacob literally encounters God as we can sometimes encounter a familiar face among a crowd of strangers. This is, this is a uh, meeting brought about by God, not man. That is why Jacob's prayer could not be made the basis of a regular obligation. None of us knows when the presence of God will suddenly intrude into our lives. There's an element, however, of the religious life that is beyond consciousness control. It comes out of nowhere when we are at least expecting it. Now, if Abraham represents our journey toward God and Isaac our dialogue with God, Jacob signifies God's encounter with us, unplanned, unscheduled, unexpected. The vision, the voice, the call we can never know in advance, but which leaves us transformed. As for the Jacob, so for us, it feels as if we are waking from a sleep and realizing as if for the first time that God was in this place and I did not know it. The place has not changed, but we have. Such an experience can never be made the subject of an obligation. It is not something we do, it's something that happened to us. Such experiences take place, literally or metaphorically, at night. They happen when we are alone, afraid, vulnerable, close to despair. It is then that we are least expected it. We can find our lives flooded by the radiance of the divine. Suddenly, with a certain that is unmistakably, we know that we are not alone. That God is there. And that has been. He's been there all alone. But that we were. Too preoccupied by our own. Concern to notice him. That reminded me of. What I said earlier. About the struggle that I've been going through. Even. Uh, last week. When I began to feel. Started studying. I felt the pain in my hip. It's not there now, but it was something was trying to hold me back from doing what I needed to do. So we're going to find throughout our journey that these things are going to come up on us. What do we do? Keep moving. Keep moving. So this is how Jacob found God, not by his own effort, like Abraham, not through continuous dialogue like Isaac, but in the midst of fear and isolation. Jacob, in flight, trips and falls and finds he was falling into a waiting arms of God. No one who has had this experience ever forgotten it. Now, I know that you were uh, with me all the time, but I was 
looking elsewhere. That's what Jacob thought. Then Jacob woke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it on the pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He called that name, that place Bethel, and the name of the city will lose at first. Now I want to make a little transition and connect Yeshua uh, with this place. This is what Yeshua called Philip and Nathan. Uh, from the bridge Hadashah. The explanation of the obscure reference to Jacob's letter alludes to John chapter 1 verses 43 to 51. For this explanation, we will go into the place where Yeshua called Philip and Nathan as his Talmudian uh, disciples. If you have your uh, Bible, I'm going to be reading from out of uh, John, 4, John 1, 43 and 51, uh, ESV version. The next day, Yeshua decided to go to, Gal to, the Gal to Galilee. He found Philip and he said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathan and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets wrote, Yeshua of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathan, Nathan said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Yeshua saw Nathan coming toward him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathan, Nathan said to him, How do you know me? Yeshua answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathan asked him, Rabbi, you, were, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Yeshua answered him, because I said, said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I said to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Is it starting to build a picture for you? As soon as Yeshua saw Nathan, he offered an immediate character assessment, declaring him to be an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. It is a strange thing to say perhaps, the, perhaps a reference to the story of Jacob's vision at Bethel. Jacob was at Bethel fleeing from his life precisely because of his deceit. He deceived his father by claiming to be Esau. Isaac told Esau in Genesis 27-35 your brother came deceitfully. The Lord changed Jacob's name to Israel only after he had forsaken his deceit. This time, honestly answering the question, what is your name? So said he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. He said, your name shall no longer be Jacob but Israel. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and whose spirit there is no deceit. Psalms 32 and 2. 
So Nathan was was skeptic skeptical. Anyone could pretend to be a prophet. How do you know me? He asked Yeshua. Uh, he asked, and Yeshua responded, "Before Philip called you, when you were on the fig tree, I saw you." For whatever reason, Nathan felt certain that Yeshua can have known his whereabouts only through prophecies. His initial skepticism gave him gave away gave away, excuse me, to an, an impotent statement of belief. Rabbi, you are the Son of God, which is to say, you are the King of Israel. As with the title Son of Joseph, the title Son of God carries deep theological implication. But Nathan was not yet privy to any of those implications. Rather, he used it as a term for Messiah, synonymous with King of Israel. The king, uh, excuse me, the angel of God ascending and descending is what we're looking at. He said to him, Amen, amen. I said to you, from now you will see heaven open and the angel of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. John chapter 1, 51. Yeshua affirmed Nathan's uh, confession with a double amen, amen. And then it said, I said to you, you will see the heaven open up and the angel of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. To see the heavens open is to receive a prophetic apocalyptic vision. Yeshua referred to himself as the Son of Man, a title of Messiah derived from the apocalyptic vision in the prophet Daniel and the book of Enoch. The angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man alludes to Genesis 28 and 12 which describes Jacob's dream of a ladder upon which angels ascending and descending. A Mitch Rash reading of that verse offer insight into the master enigmatic words. In Hebrew, the pronounce, uh, pronounce is, a, is it is identical to the pronoun or him, or who, or is in that case both. Therefore, Genesis 28 of uh, chapter 12, verses 13 could be read as follow. He had a dream, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on him. And behold, the Lord uh, stood above him. That's from Genesis 28, verses 12 and 13. Now, in the Midrash Rabbah, the sages argue over the meaning of the verse. One rabbi takes it to mean that the angel ascended and descended upon the ladder and that God stood above the ladder. The other takes it to mean that the angels ascended and descended upon Jacob himself. Rabbi Shavar and the elder, or Rabbi Yana, disagree. One taught that the angel of Jacob's vision were ascending and descending on the ladder, and the other taught that they were ascending and descending on Jacob. Uh, the, on, the meaning God stood at the top of the ladder, and the other said that his own should be meant that God stood above Jacob. Yeshua seemed to have the passion in the latter sense by but applies the pronoun neither to the latter nor to Jacob but to himself he tells Nathan that he like Jacob will see heaven open and the angel of God ascending and descending on the Messiah perhaps this was the very Torah passage Nathan had been con contemplating which he sat beneath the fig tree. 
Messiah is the true ladder between heaven and earth. He is extended to us from above as he said, for I have come down from heaven. He is the way of ascent. As he said, I ascend to my father and your father and my God and your God. He is the son of Jacob an Israelite and yet angels ascend and descend upon him and God is above him. But when he says all things are put in subjection on the Messiah it is evident that he is asserting who put all things under him. When all things are under him then the son himself also will be under the one who put all things on the Messiah so that God may be all in all. So Jacob leave Bethel and continued his journey on foot to Haran. When he reaches the area of Haran, he sees three flocks of sheep gathered by a well in the early afternoon. The situation draws Jacob's attention because the shepherds are doing anything or not doing anything at the well. Jacob then removed the rock from the well. Jacob approached the man and in his conversation with them, he learned that the well is covered by a rock that is is removed when anyone gathered in the early evening. Perhaps the rule for watering was first come, first served. And these shepherds had arrived early for a good position. Of course, this assumed that the shepherds were too young to move the stone on their own, so they had to wait for an older person to arrive to open the well. He can as we can assume that these shepherds were somewhat lazy or careless in their duties. They gathered early in the afternoon for the evening, for the evening watering instead of letting their sheep graze in the pasture longer. While speaking to the shepherd, Jacob inquires after his uncle, Laban. He learned that Laban is in good health and that Laban's daughter was expected to arrive soon to water her sheep. Jacob encouraged, the, to, uh, Jacob encouraged the shepherd to water their sheep and move on. Perhaps he wanted a chance to meet his cousin without spectators. Whatever his tent, Rachel arrived before he could get the shepherd to leave. Jacob met Rachel at the well. As Rachel and her flock approached, Jacob removed the stone from the well and watered her sheep. He was probably excited to meet a relative and was eager to meet a good to make a good impression. This is not a uh, case of love at first sight. Throughout the emphasis is on Laban and the racial relationship to Laban. Rachel will introduce Jacob to Laban and he, and he wants a good report to be brought. After watering the sheep, Jacob gave her a kiss and greeting, which is a common practice, and then began to weep. He explained that, uh, to Rachel that he is over, overjoyed to meet her, uh, his relative, at this, at this time. And Rachel finds out who Jacob is and she returned to her father. Laban, Laban doesn't waste any time but rush out to greet Jacob and invite him to stay with his family. He, eager, he is eager to learn what happened to Rebekah. After all, it has been about 90 years since his sister had left home. Jacob would be uh, in the 70s at this time. 
There are many things that uh, that needed to be discussed. So Jacob stayed with Laban for a month, helping him with the many chores around the home in, the, in that time. He became acquainted with Rachel and fell in love with her. Eventually Laban offered to hire Jacob and for the wages that agreed that Jacob would be able to marry Rachel after seven years of labor. The seven year labor of labor of service would serve as the down uh, the downing price for Rachel. Now I'm sure Laban thought he was getting the best of the, this deal. And as we know the story uh, for the sake of time uh, we're going to we're going to go through some things and, and so we'll get out on time. We're going to skip some of the, this teaching. Some of you all know Jacob what happened? No? That means we got to read our Torah. <laughs> All right. So, let's go to uh, some of the deceit uh, on this next slide. I'm going to show the chart of Jacob's deception. Uh, Jacob uh, here is a chart where we see uh, the deception Jacob had uh, and Laban deception. So things that we do in our lives tend to come back on us. That's just how life is. Whatever you plant. Yeah. So that's what it is. Whatever we sow, it's going to come back on us. It's going to reap. Whether good or bad. So let's plant it in some good soil. So we see the deception. Jacob, uh, deception. Jacob's mother plot to deceive Isaac regarding two brothers. Jacob set out to violate uh, the custom regarding birth order. And Jacob dressed as his brother. Jacob deceived his Isaac uh, when he came, uh, when he could not see. Then we see what Laban's uh, deception was. Rachel's father plot to deceive Jacob regarding the two sisters. Jacob set out to violate the custom regarding birth order again. Laban, Leah, dresses as his sister. And Laban deceived Jacob when he cannot see. So the same thing pretty much happened. And he got what he deserved. He got it. He got that's what the way it came out. <laughs> so we have to be careful. <laughs> So, we, we know those things. Uh, so, while Jacob never berates Leah for her part in the interception, the scripture are plain that Jacob preferred Rachel over Leah. We, we know what he, who he wanted. Over time, he does not learn to care. Uh, oh, excuse me. Over time, he does learn to care for Leah. God had a plan, hand in, in this. Seeing that Leah was unloved, God granted her children while Rachel remained barren. So Jacob and Leah, uh, first two sons were named Reuben, which means behold his son. Soon after, Leah had a second son whom she named Simon, or hearing, for she realized that God was hearing her prayer. And her third son was named Levi, or attachment, since she figured Jacob's heart was bound to be attached to her now that she had given him three sons. All right, so I'm going to go on down and try to cut this short here to the last slide. Uh, all right, so when we look at Jacob's journey, uh, again earlier I said all of us on a journey, we all have a journey. Uh, he had uh, a lot to complain about. Uh, once we, uh, one, we see that he is, uh, was deceit. Deceit was one of them. He, he is tricked into extra uh, seven years of labor. Idolatry, he had at least one wife. His love, his true love, who worshiped Ida. Uh, uh, family conflict. How many don't have family conflict in here? Don't raise your hand. 
there's an ongoing conflict between Jacob's wife and children. And we know in-law injustice. Later he endured constant struggle with Laban who challenged his wages ten times, always trying to batter himself at Jacob's expense. And then we see the escape. He must flee when Laban is away to be able to go home. So, but let, let, look at from a larger perspective. Jacob uh, came empty-handed and left with many children and, gr and great wealth. Indeed, God has been with him and watched over him and even blessed Laban on his account. Too often when we are experiencing trials, we complain. I better do that. Don't raise your hand again. Nothing seemed to be going right. How hard our life is. And I, and I was saying earlier, I had been going through some things, but when I looked at the news last night before I went to bed and this morning, what was going on in uh, California, I stopped saying anything. So, you know, God is, we're praying for them. Too often we can see the far, we can't see the forest for the trees. Blessing always come amidst conflict. Name one person in the Bible whom God blessed and blessed other through. Uh, and I'll, I'll show you struggles and suffering uh, that's in there. Sometimes we act as if God has promised a rose garden. He has promised to bless us and to be with us, but he doesn't promise all sunny skies. Yeshua told his disciples, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace, peace. And in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. And this is God's word, word, word to you today. You who fear defeat, beat up, and sorry for yourself, Yeshua said to you, take heart. Don't be discouraged, my child. I have overcome the world. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for an opportunity to come before your people today. We thank you right now, God, for your revelation, knowledge of your word that we receive now. Father, let us implement it into our life and begin to work and not complain. We thank you for the remainder of this day, the service that we're getting ready to enter into. We thank you for the Rook Hockey desk that's going to be here with us and always with us. In the name of Yeshua, we pray. Amen.